This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Okay, we're, we're uh, just started really on part five of our series, our summer series, and, and into the fall, um, taking a look at Paul's prison letter. So there are four prison letters, right? So we're in Ephesians, and we're going to be getting Colossians, Philippians, and, and Philemon. Not necessarily in the order that they are listed in your Bible, but we'll be walking through those. In series we're calling Locked Up, Not Out, meaning you can try to lock up the gospel, but you can't lock it out, right? God's will is going to be done in all of the earth. And we, we've talked a little bit about that in the past week. As we dive into Ephesians, what we're remembering is that this six-chapter book, not a long book, I encourage you to be Bible readers. I encourage you to be in there. It's really broken into, into, into half. So we've got the first half is doctrine. We've been talking about that and the importance of doctrine biblically-based doctrine um, as a foundation for, for our faith, and then more applications begin to next week and, and, and the weeks, weeks ahead. But today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, so I hope you've been kind of diving into that. And Paul immediately establishes a critical, a critical point is what we need to remember. And I'll just say it this way. Um, he's been arrested by Jesus, or he's been taken captive um, by Jesus. Paul's previous life has been radically changed and now he's captivated and he's living out this passion to make the name of Jesus famous in in all the earth. We're going to see how that applies to you and me in just a little bit, but um, for some maybe new to Bible reading or, or new to the faith, the backstory of Paul's life, who used to be called Saul, is in Acts chapter 9. And so if I'm just going to go there, we're going to quickly, quickly read it. Um, just the first few verses. This was Paul's life, Saul. Saul who became Paul, um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way or, or people who were following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now that's what he was doing. He was living out this passion to, to uh, capture followers, people of the way, and persecute them. Now, as he went on his, on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light shone from heaven around him. And then his response, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Kind of a little bit of a sidebar, and I think it's it's worthy of note. Kind of the words of Jesus to Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus. He said, why are you persecuting me? Now, when we look at the story, Saul was after Christians, right? And he was persecuting them. And here's what I would just suggest to you and why Jesus said that, because um, he was persecuting the Jesus that lived in the followers. And that's the same for you and me as well. It's the Jesus in us that shines. It's not your good works. It's not your good looks. I mean, you can look at everybody, look at your neighbor and go like, man, you are one good looking dude or um, do this, whatever, you know. But it's not, your, it's not your good looks. It's not your good works. It's the Jesus is what Jesus has done for you. He chose you. We talked about that. It's the Jesus in you. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, 
at just the beginning, reflecting on, you know, this change in life. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, are now captivated by Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. There, there would be those who would look at Paul in his current situation of being in jail, his, his current circumstance, and declare him, look, look what happened to him. Look, he's a prisoner of Rome, prisoner of, of the Jews. But Paul wasn't going to let that thinking take root. Because he says, like, I'm not their prisoner. I'm a prisoner of, of Christ. Though he is a, physically he's a prisoner of Rome, he didn't consider himself that, that way at all. But he was driven um, by this passion to live out his purpose. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. And so when Paul says, look, I, I'm captivated, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he declares a couple things. Number one, and these are worthy, I think, um, to, 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 to remember or jot down, take a picture of the screen. He's not a victim of his circumstance. I mean, there are some of us who walk around going like, look, my circumstances, my circumstance won't allow me to do this. If I could just arrive at this point, then I could do this, right? Paul going, no, nah, he can have anything to do with that. He was not a victim of his, of his circumstance. He clearly established the fact that he's not a victim either of the Jews or the, the Roman emperor. And by refusing to be a victim of his current uh, circumstance, Paul was elevating his call as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was continually aware of this Damascus experience that we just read about in Acts chapter 9, right? This is my call, and I'm not going to allow life to interfere with that call at all. Now, we're going to bring that around to you and to me in, in just a little bit, but we need to remember that. Secondly, Paul's declaring this, Paul's purpose was greater than his circumstance. So you can bring whatever you want into my life. I don't care. The purpose for which I live is greater than the circumstance that I'm now in. Paul's purpose in life would supersede his circumstance. And here's what I want you to remember. Like if you go to sleep after, after this, then I'll say, okay, whatever. I, I told you, I think some time ago, that someone said, if you took all the people who sleep in church and laid them in the end, they'd be more comfortable. So anyway. <laughs> Um, here we go. Here's what I want you to remember. Circumstances change, but purpose remains. Can you say it with me? Circumstances change, but purpose remains. Circumstances change, but purpose remains. You're going to walk out of here. Your circumstances may change, but your purpose never changes. Some of you are facing circumstances right now that you just learned of just this last week or maybe even yesterday. Maybe your circumstance in the view of someone else doesn't look so good, but your purpose doesn't change. Your purpose remains, and my, my purpose remains, and Paul is declaring that, right? His purpose in life would supersede his circumstance no matter what came his way. And so Paul willingly um, viewed this time of imprisonment as an opportunity, and he stepped into it. Um, he was even warned of his imprisonment. I'll share that with you in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. It's an obvious question, I think, that comes out of the word. Like, if that was me, would I willingly step into it? If you knew what was ahead, would you willingly step into every circumstance in your life to live out this purpose that you and I have, this call to go and make disciples in all the world? Would, would we do that? This is why a biblical theology of suffering is so important. And we are going to be talking about that in just a few weeks. 
Paul was warned by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 20, um, verses 22 and 24. Just listen to it. It's coming up on the screen. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, right? Called by the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So you, you get what's going on here. I don't know what's going to happen for sure, but I'm constrained by the Spirit, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, if we could put a period right there. We go like, you know what? If that's me, I'm turning around and I'm going the other way. Uh, humanly, we go like, I don't want that life, right? That's not the place I want to be in, right? I want to be in this place of, you know, of, of, um, of comfort and, and all my needs are, are, are met. But that's not what happens. And that's not the call to you and to me either. He said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And you see what Paul's saying? He's like, nothing matters. Not even my life, certainly not my comfort in, in life. Not even my physical life. Nothing matters. I don't even count my life of, of any value. It means nothing to me if only I may finish out this course or this purpose in life that was given to me by the Lord Jesus. We just read about it. But not only that, Paul, Paul was um, warned by this dude named, his prophet named Agabus, prophet in that day, who approached this day. And so Agabus, um, he decides he's going to use a little illustrated sermon here, right? To just like drive the point home. And so listen to it out of Acts chapter 21. Um, he takes Paul's belt. So this would be really cool, huh? I'll take Paul's belt. So he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Who owned the belt? Yeah, so it was obvious, right, who he was talking about, right, Paul. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So what was happening? What was going on? Here, here was Agabus and the people kind of stepping in to kind of intervene in, in, in Paul's life. Remember, he's constrained by the Spirit to go. And you're going like, you can't go. And here was Paul like maybe taking out this, this scale. I'm going like, you know what? If I put God's call on my life, his purpose in my life, and I just put it on a scale, here's what's going to happen. His purpose far outweigh any of your concerns or anything that you think might happen, I am passionate about living out this purpose in, in my life. And because Paul refused, um, oh, he had an answer. Let me give that. Paul had an answer, by the way, to these people. I have it for you. It's kind of comical, I think. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? Can you imagine that response? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? You're breaking my heart. But listen, I'm ready to die. And when you have that level of commitment, nothing else matters. Paul refused to be a victim of his circumstance, known and unknown, but rather lived out his call and purpose. And because he did, the kingdom 
was preached. Acts chapter 28. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Imagine that. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And there he was. Now, this morning what I want to do is I want to give you two principles I think that we can take home with us today as we kind of reflect on those. I'm going to give you um, two principles. I'm going to give you what looks like to live the principle and how to apply the principle in our life. The first one is this. Circumstances will turn us toward or away from our purpose as followers of Jesus. Circumstances are going to turn us toward or they're going to turn us away from the purpose um, as followers, from our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. That means all of us face different things in life. Circumstances, right? What, what, whatever um, they are. Um, they come, they come quick, they catch us by surprise sometimes, and in those moments, even right now, they're going to turn us toward um, our purpose, or they're going to turn us away if we allow them to do that. I want to give you living the principle in just a moment. Just think about where you are right this moment. And what have the circumstances in life, you know, caused you to do? Um, is, is it sound a little bit like this, God? If, when, when you take care of this right here, then I'll be able to do this right here. But what if God wants to use you, and he does, in this circumstance? They're going to turn us toward or, or away. Living the principle sounds like this. See this time in your life as your opportunity. Whatever is going on right now, see this time as your opportunity to live out this purpose, this call to go and make disciples everywhere. Now, I want to, I want to make an important point, I think, here, because often we're looking at passages like this, we're looking at Paul's life, we can kind of get this idea that, look, when the bad circumstances come, then I'm going to live out my pur no, purpose. No, because circumstances aren't always bad. Not all of us are in, quote, unquote, quote, prison or challenging circumstances at all. For some of us, you're at home, wherever you are, or, or, or in person, some of us, things are going really, really well. I mean, you've been blessed financially. That's your circumstance. You've been given much by the standard of me. That's, that's where you're living right now. Um, your life is flourishing. This is your current circumstance. This is your opportunity to make a difference. So you see what I'm saying? It's, it's all of life. It's just not the challenging times. It's when things are going well in our life. We've talked about some months ago that what often happens um, when things go really, really well um, humans tend to drift just a little bit. You with me? That, that's, that's seen, and we read that in the Bible, don't we? Things go well, and then things go bad. They get challenged, and then we come right back to say, God, let me. No, no, we live out our purpose in all of life, regardless of the circumstance and situation that we are in right now. Others, it looks different, but God desires to use all of us and why our attitude reflect, must reflect Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. Every moment. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus with you. It's really about our point of view. So what lens are we looking at uh, life through right now? So maybe the lens that you're looking at in your circumstances is a wait and see. God, just, I'll just wait and see how this turns out. Then I can do this. Or maybe, God, I'm looking through a lens right now. It says, just use me. I want to live out my purpose 
in all circumstances. What's the lens? William Barclay, who was a commentator, this old guy, um, said this Christian has always a double life and a double address. Any ordinary person looking at Paul in prison would have said that Paul was a prisoner of Rome. That's the lens they were looking through. And so in one sense, he was. But Paul never thought of himself as a prisoner of Rome. He always thought of himself as a prisoner of Christ. He did not think of himself as arrested by the Roman authorities. He thought of himself as suffering for the sake of Christ. A point of view makes all the difference in the world. So maybe some of us this morning kind of need to kind of shift our thinking just a little bit and shift the lens that we're looking at our circumstance or life through. So here's how we're going to apply the principle. Focus on your purpose, not your circumstance. And I think we need that reminder every day. At least I do. So wake up in the morning. Look, if I just focus on the circumstances before me, you get sidetracked. We focus on our purpose, not our circumstance. That's how we're going to walk this thing out and live this thing out individually, but also as a faith community, as, as a church. Why is it so important? Because you and I have a story to share. We have this good news story with all who will listen it's a story that you have and a story that I have. And Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel. In fact, in my Bible anyway, and perhaps not in all, I have this heading, the mystery of God re revealed. Who doesn't like a great mystery, right? So I, I'm, the, I'm the guy, you know, I like, um, I like to watch unsolved mysteries type, type things or crime things. Anybody else? Yeah. yeah. God bless you. You are a real Christian. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, so I like to watch that and you kind of watch how they kind of unravel and all the clues and all this kind of stuff. Then finally someone, you know, puts it all together. So I, I, I love that, these great, great mysteries. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about um, Columbo. Some Columbo fans here, yes. I mean, it just seemed like um, this, this, this detective, un unassuming and kind of bumbling type guy, could unravel the greatest mysteries and solve the crime. So like what was hidden from others, it was never hidden from Columbo, right? He, he would finally, finally get there. The, the mystery would always be resolved and it would always be solved. Oh, so I just, I thought, well, I'm gonna look up mystery in the dictionary. And so I did, I did that. Here's what it says. Something not understood or beyond understanding. Now Paul's going to address this mystery of Christ. He says this in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 2 and 6. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and, and prophets of, by the Spirit. Then he says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Do you know what that meant? Just that this, and here's the principle, that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all all. This mystery is that the Gentiles are also fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel is all. This, this is good news. This is good news for you. It's good news 
For me, the secret or mystery was that the love, mercy, and grace of God were meant not just for the Jews alone, but for all mankind. This is the story that we have to tell. This gospel story that Jesus changes lives, gives the, takes us from death to life, is for all people. This is for your neighbor. This is for the person that you work with. This is, are you ready? This is for the person you don't like. This is for the person that you struggle with and I struggle with, right? These are for the, this is for the people that like come, come against us. The secret or mystery was that the love, mercy, and grace of God were meant not just for Jews, not just for a select group, but for all mankind. This was a message given to Paul and was shared by the Lord with Ananias who had the distinct pleasure, right, of going to meet Saul, the persecutor, and he didn't like that so much, but here it is in Acts chapter 9. Go, for he, Paul, Saul, is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. This is a completely new discovery. Again, the principle is this, like the gospel is for all, all people. Barclay kind of sets a context for what was going on here. He says this, the basic sin of the ancient world was contempt. The Jews despised the Gentiles who were useless and worthless. So they thought in the sight of God. At the worst, the Gentiles existed only to be annihilated. At best, the Gentiles existed to be the slaves of Israel. And Paul says that the mystery of Christ, of which he was a steward, is that Gentiles are welcomed into the body of Christ along with Jewish believers. The gospel is for all. The gospel is for you. The gospel's for me. And maybe, um, like me, this verse came to mind, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, or at least one of them, John 3, 16, for God. Exactly. For God so loved all people. For God so loved the world. And you've heard me say it this way before. I've been hanging around Gateway for any amount of time. He died for the whole world, but he did so one person at a time. That's you and that's me. It's easy to miss, I think, the significance of the Greek word translated Gentiles here, ethnos or ethne, which literally means nations or peoples of the world. And this is why Gateway is committed to taking this gospel message here, there, and everywhere. That's one way that, that we say it, to the nations and to the world. So this is why we have works in West Africa, why we have works in India, why we have works around the world, is to take this gospel message as for all people to all people. The gospel of Christ brings all people together, regardless of race, social status, station in life, and brings all who receive him into one body, the body of Christ. Now, I don't know if I've said it publicly or not, but I'm going to say it now. And if I have, it's a great, great reminder. It's the gospel that brings people together. It's the gospel that unites people into one body, regardless of race, regardless of, of social status or, or whatever. And this is why I think there is such an attack against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? 
Because if the gospel brings together, and what does the world want to do? The world wants to divide everybody up into all of these groups and pit one against the other. The gospel unites. The gospel brings people together. So how are we going to live out this principle? Here it is. We're going to live as a proclaimer of the gospel, the good news. What's it mean to be a proclaimer? You ask. Thank you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you three ways in just a second. Here's, here's why I don't, I don't think it means. I'm, not, I'm telling you, God, go, I, you know, I've walked by the signs that say repent or burn. You know, so I'm not suggesting that at all. In fact, I would suggest that you don't do that. I don't particularly think that sets the table for anybody. But here we go. Live as a proclaimer of the gospel, the good news. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to, number one, live as stewards of the gospel. You and I are called to steward this gospel message. You have been taken, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been taken from life to death, and we're going to steward this. What does it mean? First, we will live aware that we have been saved, that we have gone from life to death. And I would pray that the reality that doesn't escape you and doesn't escape me in this life. And I do, I think it was last week or the week before I mentioned, you know, sometimes we have the habit of, as people, like we can get away from that reality, right? It just seems like sometimes the longer you're in this faith journey, we, that just kind of grows dim, right? The longer you step away from that moment back here when you decide to follow Jesus, it just Sometimes it's just like it can fade away and I pray that that doesn't happen. So the way that we steward it, we, the rea we, we keep that reality forefront in our minds. We were dead, dead, with no ability on our own to come to him, zero. You couldn't earn it, you couldn't work for it, nothing you could do, it's all what he did. He called you and he brought you from death to life. Second, we will live as opportunists when it comes to sharing the gospel story. We will look at opportunities. We will see life as an opportunity. I get that um, there, there have been times um, when, when I have said this, and maybe you have to like, look, so God, this is a really good time for you to return and just get us out of here. Anybody else? Because the days are so evil. I mean, I, I don't, in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever lived in um, the evilness of the day like we are today. And so I, I, I've been that guy go like, like, God, maybe it's time to call it over right now. Because I have a, f no, I shouldn't say this. There are a few people, never mind, See, that's the human side, see. Um, I just want a few people to know who you are. Maybe you could judge them. Okay. Um, where, where am I? Oh, opportunists. Okay. We're going to live as, as a, you know, and what happens if you and I, instead of focusing on the evil of the day, what if we focus on the opportunities of the day? Because it's my belief that people are living out their life in such a way is because they're, they're searching for something. What, what if we focused on the opportunities and we stewarded the opportunities that are before us? In just a couple chapters, we'll get there in a, in a couple weeks or next, next uh, two weeks, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of what? 
in what? Because the, the days are evil. That's how I want to live. So we, 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 we don't allow the human thoughts to come in. We allow the God thoughts to come in. Live as stewards of the God. Number two, we live as a servant of Jesus Christ. This is not a life that we begrudge or want of joy as a servant of his. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verse 7, Ephesians chapter 3, um, Paul. To Paul, the biggest glory, the highest honor that he had was to live out this task given to him as a servant of Jesus Christ. It was a privilege. But I'd like to kind of maybe shift your thinking just a little bit for a moment here. Let me do that. As I, as I sat on that word <clears throat> this past week, um, I thought about this because I think serving carries a connotation of preparing a table or a meal as I, as I serve somebody. So I, w- I would just suggest this thought, that as servants of Jesus, who are passionate, I pray, to live out his purpose for each one of us, it often looks like this. It just often looks like just setting the table for someone to sit at. And so I, I asked myself, am I doing that? Am I sitting at a table as a servant of Jesus Christ that allows someone else to sit at and engage in conversation about who Jesus is? Am I doing that in my life? Had a great conversation with one of our team members this morning who is really doing this very, very thing. Setting the table for someone to sit at. This is what Jesus did. What's it look like for you? What's it look like for me when we're out in the community, right? When we're in the coffee place, wherever you go. Um, when you're at the grocery store, what's it look like to set the table in such a way that you will engage in a conversation and you'll take that opportunity to serve Jesus? Finally, um, then we're going to be done. Live as storytellers. Um, Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. All we need to do is tell our story. I know that sometimes, and, and this is, sometimes we can get this thinking that I've got to get the right scripture in order, you know, whatever it is, or I screw the whole thing up. And I'm committed to, to the Bible and to, and, and to scripture, but what if we just learn to tell our story of what Jesus did in our life? Live as a storyteller. Sometimes we complicate the gospel so much. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. Once you were this and now, now you're this. It's that, that, that simple. It's your story. So in West Africa, I had the privilege of, uh, of doing this. It's, it's my story. It's not everybody's story. But I was talking to a group of people that I knew would particularly connect with my story of never having a father, never knowing my, my dad. Never, um, I, had a, I, mean, I had a father, I just never knew him, right? And so I had that opportunity to tell this group of people that about this moment when you know, mom prayed that God would be my father. She would be a father to her children. And how I've experienced that all of my life to a group who had no father. But here's what that means. He became my heavenly father, the one who watches over me and who protects me. And this is how you can experience that in your life. It's my story and you have a story. What's, what's your story? 
How do we apply the principle? Here it is, the gospel is for all. So begin with the one. Begin with the one. Begin with the one neighbor that you have. Begin with the one workmate that you have. Just begin with the one. The application lives individually, but it lives as a faith community. This is why we, we go together. We talk about everyone being called and everyone involved to live out this call to make, make disciples. And it begins with a commitment that Jesus is the way and that we have the the purpose in life, we live with the purpose in life to share that story with our, with our neighbors. It means that we go together, go into all of the world. So my question is, what's your going look like today? What's your going look like? For some, and I believe that we all, we all go, for some, we go physically, for some, we go <clears throat> financially, for some, we go through our, our prayers. We were all called to live out this passion to go into all the world and make disciples. So we live as stewards of the gospel. So we're gonna do something this morning. We're gonna gather around um, the table and I hope that you grab your communion element. If you're at home, you can grab, you know, like your coffee and your donut or whatever it is you have. They're, they're symbols, right? And we're gonna gather around this table that Jesus set. Nobody could set this table but him. And he calls you and me to gather together and we're going to pray together in just a moment so believe that the the bread is symbolic of his broken body um, wholeness and healing for all um, so that might be relationships that might be spiritual uh, uh, brokenness it might be financial whatever 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 but we're going to pray um, that God's um, restoration will happen in your life whatever that that might look like and then we're going to gather around and we're going to take the cup and it's just a symbol of our story. Um, Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Now let's go and tell that. So we're going to do this. I'm going to pray two prayers this morning. And if you're in a place of need, I just encourage you to reach out to him and maybe even lift, lift a piece of bread to him and going, God, this is what I need and I'm just trusting you for it. And then we give our lives to him and we trust him to have his will and have his way. So Father, I pray for each one today sitting here in person or online. Your body was broken that we could be made whole in every way. And God, I don't understand all of it. I don't think any of us do in our human minds, but we experience healing and wholeness in so many different ways. So God, we're lifting up this piece of bread and for many of us, it's our request. It's asking you to intervene into our lives or perhaps the lives of another and to bring restoration. Might be to a marriage, might be to another relationship, might be physical, might be mental, might be financial. Whatever it is, Father, we are lifting it to you and we're receiving from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread, shall we? And then flip that cup over and um, we're going to receive it in just a moment. But Father, um, our story is that you chose us, you called us, you redeemed us, you saved us. There's nothing that we could do. Works couldn't do it. Being good never could do it. It's just trust and faith in you, the one who died for us. And that's our story.
I would pray, Lord, that as we receive the cup today, that we'll be reminded of that, that we will never step away from the reality of what you did in our lives. You took us from death to life, and we will live with this passion of telling that story to all, beginning with those closest to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup together, shall we? Now let's stand together and just worship him. Yeah. Mm-hmm.